What's up, gamers, and welcome to Lost at Sea Gaming. I am Hulking Yoda, the captain of this ship, the SS Gamer. And you have just stepped into my captain's quarters, my weekly gaming update show where I talk about my favorite gaming news topic of the past week, discuss what games I've been playing, give tips on some of those games, as well as issue a weekly relevant gaming-related decree. This week, it's all about the Sands of Time and that Prince of Persia remake, so let's talk about it and dive right into the episode with my news catch of the week. Gamers, the original Prince of Persia, The Sands of Time, was released on the original Xbox and PlayStation 2 way back in 2003. So to put that in perspective, we are coming up in one year on 20 years since this game first originally released. Now, of course, the series itself had been around forever before that, on Mac and PC before, and side-scrolling forms, but that was the first time that that series was fully realized in a 3D action-adventure-style game. It was amazing for its time, the graphics, the gameplay, the time-shifting, and the rewind. It was absolutely breathtaking to watch and to participate in. The world itself as a puzzle Every room that you walked into with those godforsaken spinning spike traps, the chasms that you would have to cross of running across the wall or trying to time jumps and using your dagger of time abilities in conjunction with everything to make it to the next area. It was absolutely euphoric to little old me, a young buck gamer in the early throes of high school. Now, I absolutely loved this game. I loved the original trilogy that it was tied into, The Sands of Time being the first of that, Warrior Within, the second game in the series, went all dark and emo and real edgy and hardcore heavy metal throughout the course of the game. And then it topped off with a much better, very satisfying conclusion in The Two Thrones. Man, what a great trilogy of games. The series has gone on since then to be up and down and then completely dormant. Well, guys, in September of 2020, Ubisoft announced that it was actually going to remake The Sands of Time. This time with development studios Ubisoft Pune and Ubisoft Mumbai handling development. Now, the original game, it was developed by Ubisoft Montreal. So this was kind of a question mark, head-scratching moment for some gamers like, well, why wouldn't you hand it off to the guys who originally created the game, make sure that it's really something special? Eh, I'm sure those guys at Ubisoft Montreal are more preoccupied with a much more currently popular series involving some assassins and some Templars, if you know what I'm saying. But regardless... That is when we first got the announcement of this Prince of Persia Sands of Time remake, right? September of 2020, setting up the timeline for you here. Now, it was originally set to release in January of 2021, just a short four months after its announcement. But in late 2020, Ubisoft announced the game had been delayed by two more months into March of 2021. Then, three months later, Ubisoft announced the game had been delayed indefinitely. So at this point, I think they realized, yeah, development's not going too well. I don't think we're going to be able to release this anytime soon in the state that it's in. So we've already kind of put ourselves into a corner by announcing it. Let's just put out there, hey, gamers, 
it's just going to be delayed indefinitely. We really have to fix this. They didn't say those exact words, but essentially we know that's what probably the case was. Now, I will say, some close friends of mine, one of them being the Graveyard Gamer at the Graveyard Gamer Podcast right here on Anchor and many other podcasting platforms. Check him out. If you like this show, you'll love that show. Promise you that. Him and I were talking. You know, the visuals of this quote-unquote remake just were not up to par of what we expected, of what we as gamers should expect for a remake on current-gen hardware. Even when I talk about current-gen, I'll throw in there the Xbox One and the PS4. You look at these generations of consoles, and you look at what Ubisoft showed off visually with that announcement trailer of the remake, and man, it was way under what level of detail and visual quality it should have been in our minds. It wasn't just us, though. The internet, if you looked at it, man, they went nuts with it. A lot of people were disappointed, making memes and just making fun of the way the prints looked. Don't get me wrong. The game looked better than it did on the original Xbox PS2 era. But come on now. (laughs) This is not up to standard. So there was a lot of disappointment surrounding it because... As I had stated earlier, the series had been dormant for years, and now we're finally getting something quote-unquote new in the series, granted in the form of a remake, but this is a remake of a beloved classic. You can't mess with this, man. So I think that a lot of the fan backlash and negative feedback surrounding those visuals, just like with Halo Infinite and its first initial gameplay reveal and walkthrough, everybody dogged and trashed the visuals in that game, and guess what? Microsoft pulled Halo back and said, yeah, we're going to go back to the drawing board for another year and really ramp up the visual quality here, among other things. I think a lot of that is what happened with Prince of Persia, the Sands of Time remake. I think that Ubisoft realized that, wait a minute, the fan base and gamers in general here are a little bit more passionate about this than what we maybe thought they would be. We kind of probably just figured we'd walk in and hey, guess what? We got a remake of this game. Everybody would go nuts and it would just be accepted for what it is. Uh, Sorry, Ubisoft, but gamer standards are a little bit higher nowadays than maybe 20 years ago when the game first came out. So we haven't heard anything about this game in all this time after that indefinite delay. Until this past week, we had a statement that was released. And this is what the statement said. The development of Prince of Persia The Sands of Time remake will now be led by Ubisoft Montreal, the very birthplace of the epic Sands of Time trilogy. This decision is an important step in the team. Building upon the work achieved by Ubisoft Pune and Ubisoft Mumbai will now take the time they need to regroup on the scope of the game to deliver you the best experience for this remake of an all-time classic when it's ready. We want to thank you all for your continuous support and patience throughout the development. Rest assured that we will update you on the progress and a future update. Now, guys, no new release date was given. So it's still obviously the game delayed indefinitely. But this statement, something stood out to me about the verbiage in one of the lines. And the verbiage where it says the team will regroup on the scope of the game to deliver the best experience for this remake. What does that mean? The scope of this game regroup on it. That is now 
it raises a couple of questions for me. So did the scope of the game go too big when the previous developers of Mumbai and uh, Pune, when they were working on it, did they try to go all big and, I don't know, something crazy like, say, do an open world style? That's not what they need to be doing if that was the case. So I can kind of see why Ubisoft maybe stepped in, if that was what happened, and put Ubisoft Montreal back on there. Like, hey, wait a minute. We got to refocus and regroup here. Because here's my thing, guys. The Sands of Time, that game, if you're going to remake it, sure, update it and change some things. You don't want it to be necessarily the exact same game, just with, (laughs) ironically, better looking graphics. But at the same time, you know, you don't want to change the DNA of what that game was. Prince of Persia, in my opinion, sure, it could be in an open world game setting. But I don't think that's necessary. I think it works best when it's a more linear experience tied to tight environments, the environments themselves being the puzzles, story-driven, some really good, cool action moments in between, and just the exploration of those tight environments using those powers of the dagger of time. That maybe, in my opinion, is what happened here is... You know, those two developers of Mumbai and Poon just kind of wanted to go a little bit too epic with it and got a little bit too big for their britches, so to speak. And therefore, Montreal had to come in and say, wait a minute, uh, this is our baby. We're going to fix this and get it back down to basics. That is what I would assume here and hope for is why we have Ubisoft Montreal stepping back in to take the reins over on this remake. Needless to say, regardless, I am excited about something new in Prince of Persia. I have loved this series. I have waited for the longest time. The Forgotten Sands was the last original game in the series. And it came out around the time it was kind of tied into only by really visually the way the look of the prince was the Prince of Persia movie that Disney released back in 2010. So here we are. 12 years later, without a new game in the series. I personally loved The Forgotten Sands. I thought it was great, especially off of the attempted kind of minor reboot of the franchise with just the plain Prince of Persia that came out two years prior in 2008, went all cel-shaded with the visuals and whatnot. From a gameplay standpoint, there are some things I loved about it, and there were some other story aspects that I did like about it, but overall... I wanted it to go back to its roots, which is what they did with the Forgotten Sands. But by that point, I think it was a situation where franchise fatigue had kind of set in for the gamers of us out there in the world, as well as the fact that 2008's Prince of Persia really left people with a bad taste in their mouths. Like, come on, Ubisoft, this isn't Prince of Persia. This isn't what we want. So hopefully we see some amazingness come out of whatever it is that Ubisoft Montreal had to step in for. Time will tell, and I will do my best to keep you posted on any new information about this remake as we continue into the rest of this year. That was this week's Catch of the Week. Now let's go open up my captain's log and see what games I've been playing. Gamers, if you didn't know, the latest entry in the Life is Strange series, True Colors, just went to Game Pass recently. And Life is Strange as a series, it's one that I've been very fond of. You know, I was turned on to it by uh, my brother-in-law, who made me swear to him that before I went back to work on one vacation years ago, that I would play through and complete Life is Strange. I did the original. 
I did hold up to that promise, and I was very thankful to him for turning me on to that game because it was, at the time, a very unique way of storytelling and just an amazing, unique story, in my opinion, that had just a great cast of characters. Player choice was huge, and it was just so fun to discuss with him and other friends, my wife, how the decisions we made, how we came to making those decisions, and why, and what the outcomes were, if there was any differences, and comparing them. Man, it was just a lot of fun. So Life is Strange, loved the original, loved its prequel, Before the Storm. Well, I never got around to Life is Strange 2, had some negative feedback from my wife on it, who was also, again, a big fan of those previously two mentioned games in the series. I loved the kind of a bridge between the Life is Strange games, if you will, of the adventures of Captain Spirit. That was a free experience that Don't Nod released a few years ago. That was really, really cool, set in that Life is Strange universe. But it was Life is Strange True Colors, and if you followed my show, you'll know that I did talk about it and highlight it leading up to its release. And man, I was really excited when they announced it was coming to Game Pass. Well, here's my thing. My wife, she jumped on it, and she's been playing it recently, so it really got me wanting, ah, man, I gotta get on this, I really wanna play it. But I had actually already started another Don't Nod title that was very similar in gameplay style, and that game is Tell Me Why. And that's the first game that I want to talk about real quick that I did play this past week. Now, Tell Me Why has been out for a few years now. It is also on Game Pass. It was the first game on Game Pass that I actually tried out xCloud, where you can play on your mobile device. And man, what a great experience this game has been. Now, I will say there's only three chapters in this game, and only picking away at it periodically here and there over the course of a couple years, I still have not completed that first chapter. But guys, between having it on my mind recently of just talking about Don't Nod and Life is Strange, and it really had me wanting to go back to it. And I was like, you know what? Before I start Life is Strange True Colors, let me finish Tell Me Why. I really want to finish this game and see how its story plays out. Well, guys, I picked it up just a few nights ago. Turned on the old cell phone and signed into the xCloud and picked up right where I left off right at exactly a year ago. So it, it had been almost exactly a year since I have played this game because the last unlocked achievement I had in the game was May 11th. So here we are just about to May 11th and I'm picking it up again. Well, I did play just over an hour in the game. And I'm exploring a police station at night and, man, just finding out a lot of really cool stuff. And the story resounded with me and its characters so well and so much that I still remember all the details going on of what's happening in this story. And if you don't know what it is, just really brief synopsis. A, a brother and sister, they get together after years of being apart. They grew up together in Alaska. And there is a very odd mystery surrounding the death of their mother. And what happened is it would appear to be that the brother in this situation actually took a shotgun to the mother and killed her. But according to him, it was in self-defense. Now, of course, there's really no evidence there to prove that. And he was put into jail for all this time. Well, he gets out. He has a life of his own. He comes back to the childhood home of him and his sister. And they go there to kind of 
rebond and clear out the house essentially but as they do they find out that there are a lot of suppressed memories that they didn't realize were suppressed so the longer they're together they start having these memory flashbacks and they share these memories now this is set in the same kind of world as life is strange so if you know that world there's always a group of people that has special powers and abilities and these two are no different in that sense and there's just a lot of really cool stuff here. Going back into their childhood, they reference to themselves as goblins, and there's all these cool little fairy tale stories that are happening in the background and cool collectibles. And it's just a lot of fun to explore this game's world and kind of just figure out what this relationship between these two was like. And the whole time you have that mystery hanging over you of like, was there really something going on there with the mom? Like, was there a reason why it was actually self-defense or was the brother actually just murdering his mother? So it's very interesting and I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Again, just barely over an hour playing before I went to bed the other night, but I had to mention it. It was a lot of good, insightful, fun puzzle solving, story progression, and just good information. I love Don't Nod and their play style and their game design. And it's no different here. So if you have Game Pass and you haven't tried out Tell Me Why, definitely give it a shot if you like that style of game. Now, the main game that I've been playing for almost three months now, you got it. Horizon Forbidden West. Let's go. Gamer, since I last talked to you in this past week, I did put in nine hours of work in the Forbidden West. It brings me to a total of 116 hours that I've dropped into this game, and I'm right at the 57% completion mark in the game progress tab of my notebook in-game. So when I last left you, I was exploring this beautiful, amazing underwater city. I had finally gotten the diving mask, which allowed me to just kind of live underwater if I wanted to, not have to worry about resurfacing for air. So it was just great. I was having a great time. And ultimately, I did complete that portion of the main quest. And there was a fun boss fight at the end of it. Just really cool stuff. And once I completed the quest, it did take me back to the mountain base that Aloy and her friends have set up. Pretty much right in the middle of the world map. Now, of course, I hand off the Poseidon Colonel to Gaia. And then I touch base with all of my friends throughout the base before heading back out into the game world. And guys, it was at this point that I noticed there were some new side quests that have popped up on my map. Now, ultimately, between the ones that appeared from completing that main Poseidon quest, and then there was another one that I picked up from the rumor teller, as I call her, at this campfire that's right there near the exit of the base, I did end up with four new side quests in all, just right out the gate. Now, three of them, they were all centered around Hidden Ember, the newly named Hidden Ember in the Still Sands, which is the area that I just left, the Las Vegas Strip, if you will, of the old ones and all those centuries ago. Now, guys, I loved this area, the Still Sands, the whole area of the Still Sands, that is, that deserty area. And I was very excited to kind of go back to it. Even though I had just left there, I was excited to go back. Because, you know, when we left that area, the showman that I had mentioned in last week's episode that I had communicated with in order to 
find out where Poseidon was located, you know, they had told me at the end of the quest, hey, come back and check on us from time to time and see how we're doing. So I was also kind of curious if anything had changed. And if so, what? So without going into full detail on each quest, let's just say that I did go back and each one of them I did thoroughly enjoy. Each one of those showmen had a quest that was in some way related to them. And each one was extremely different from the last. And I love them for that. Now, after these side quests, I made my way back to Chain Scrape. And there was that fourth side quest was there in Chain Scrape. And while I was there, I did decide to do its melee pit. Now, guys, this melee pit is only one of two that at this point in the game I had not yet done that I had come across. So I took care of it, honestly, pretty easily because, you know, it's in the very beginning of the game. And you guys know how it is. You play and, and things in the very beginning of the game. Yeah, they may seem a little challenging, but if you play for a while into the game and then you come back later and you're much more leveled up and much more attuned to the gameplay and the combat flow, man, you can mop this stuff up pretty quick. Well, that's exactly what happened here. Didn't really surprise me too much, but I still enjoyed knocking that out the way. I also did a side quest in this region of the Daunt that I picked up early in the game. But at the time, I didn't have the diving mask to complete the quest, so this quest of course, it involves some extended time underwater, and you had to collect these three vault keys in order to gain access to this underwater bunker, and it housed an item that gives you a pretty cool tool that you can use in the field, is all I'll say. I'll let you guys be surprised with what that tool actually is, because I thought it was like, oh, okay, all right, that's interesting. Now, once all these quests were done in that area of the Daunt, I did say, you know what, I'm going to go ahead while I'm here and go through some more of the sunken caverns that are nearby. Because in the sunken caverns, if you didn't know or you were curious, there is a lot of green shine. And green shine can come in many different forms, whether it's slivers or slabs or chunks, all of varying degrees of value if you want to sell them for shards, the currency in the game. Or personally for me... I prefer to stock up on them because I enjoy using them to level up my weapons, gear, and outfits. Because the more, the, the better gear and weapons require further levels that you go up and level up, they require green shine in order to get to those higher levels. So I have never once in this game sold a single piece of green shine. I have always maintained them in my inventory once I realized hey, these are what you really need if you really want to max out and level out some of these higher caliber weapons and gear. So just FYI on that. After these sunken caverns and the green shine, though, I did want to mop up that last melee pit that I had left uncompleted. And it was in Scalding Spear, which is further west past the Daunt as you go into the Dry Yearn. And again, it was another easy one because even though it was a little bit further west, it still was pretty early comparatively in the grand scheme of things in the game. Now, once we get back to forward progress into the west, I actually, I had already more of the northwestern part of this newer area that I was entering into defogged. So I started there, actually. Typically, I like to go and I start north and then I just kind of go down south and kind of go in like a heart rate motion up and down, up and down to kind of defog the map in those areas. Well, in this case, the way that the map was laid out, the way that the next main quest was positioned, 
it just made sense for me looking at it to go more west and stay north to finish mopping up some stuff I had in that area and in that region. And in addition, the reason why was because there was already some side quests that I had picked up that were also right there in that area just before you enter into this new region where it looks like progressing the Demeter quest line would be. Now, there were two side quests that were in this area, like I said, that I also completed, and they were awesome. I mean, these side quests, they just continue to amaze me how consistently awesome they are. One had me going through this raging snowstorm on the climb to try to rescue a person of a tribe to get to the summit of this mountain where you pick a flower. And if you pick that flower and bring it back, you've proven your worth as a warrior and you can gain your stripes in the tribe, so to speak. It was just a really cool mission. And I loved it. The characters involved. It was just a lot of fun. Visually, the snowstorm was cool too. Now, after I got past these two side quests, I did notice that in that region, there was actually a new, a brand new hunting grounds that I had not seen before. So I went to it. And, you know, if you don't know the hunting grounds, there's three challenges to each hunting ground, each of varying degree of difficulty. And let me tell you, the first two, no problem. I beat them almost immediately without even honestly really trying too much. But that third challenge, whew. So I'm just going to tell you, that third challenge, it requires you to build up plasma blasts on an enemy. And once you trigger that elemental reaction with plasma, you have a short time window as that counts down that circle around the icon of the plasma above the enemy's head. That will slowly deplete and during that time frame, you have time to build up a massive explosion that can be triggered at the end of that timer. And it's all dictated, the amount or the, the massiveness of it, by how much energy or damage that you inflict on the enemy during that downward count. Now, I started out this, and what made it more difficult for me is I was trying to do it all with a plasma bolt caster. I'm here to tell you, freebie tip here don't do that what i did is i switched to my warrior bow and just lit them up with my highest damaged warrior bow arrows during that time limit and once i did that switch it didn't take me too long to complete the challenge and therefore the hunting grounds but i gotta tell you that was not all I did. The final things that I did in my playtime of nine hours this past week, there was a rebel outpost that I took out and then a rebel camp. And the rebel camp was really cool. Those are usually more involved and a little bit lengthier than outposts. And it was no different here. And ultimately, you get a key that gains access to a bunker and you go inside and you find out a little bit more of the story that you've been following with these outposts and rebel camps. And I actually love that about the camps and the outposts because it makes it more than just these random places that you can go into and take people out and take over throughout the game world. You know, there's a thousand and one of them in games like Far Cry, but there's not necessarily a, a main storyline or a purpose to them in a sense. So I love that in this game, in this world, it makes it feel purposeful to have that storyline and, you know, figuring out certain mysteries and advancing certain plot points as you progress through each one. I love that about that. But I got to give you guys my favorite moment this past week next in my highlight 
of the week. Gamers, as mentioned previously, I loved the region of the Still Sands. And in this area with the Las Vegas Strip and being newly named Hidden Ember, and you have the three showmen who are working together to try to find these ornaments that are supposed to be used for this massive spectacle of a show. And they love putting on like plays and things like that. I just love the storylines with those guys. They were great, great voice acting as well. Marland and Stimmer, though, were the best two out of three. And man, two of those guys, those two guys, Marland and Stimmer, are two of the quests that I picked up at Hidden Ember. And I love them. And they were my highlight of the week. Now, you know, I, I, again, I loved going back into the underwater city that was no longer flooded to do these two quests. Both of them, you had to go back down there and do some things in different directions, but ultimately they both were tied back to that underwater city. And I just love that environment. For whatever reason, it just really resonated with me. And, you know, there were still new areas to explore and new secrets to find. There was even a new vista point that pops up while you're down there. But ultimately, guys, it was the payoff of the quest that didn't end exactly like I thought it would. And it was just a lot of fun. Now, that was Marlin's quest. Now, Stimmer's quest, his was to find the origins of the ornaments and find out what it really was that these things mean and what their purpose is in the game as far as from you the player are concerned so i thought it was awesome to go back down there again you're down below the ground and in that underground city now at this point it's no longer flooded out and you're hunting down this ornament that is the last ornament that the showmen, when they went back down there to try to gather up as many as they could, they couldn't get that one because they started to get attacked by machines. Well, you offer to go down there and get it for them. And it was just cool to figure out how to get to it. And then once you get it and you go back to Stimmer and you find out what the purpose, because up to this point in the game, you've been, if you're me or other players such as Graveyard Gamer, I know at this point he had also found numerous ornaments the relic ruins have these ornaments and you just kind of look at them as a collectible and oh it's kind of a cool story that you've been following along with them but then when you find out what the purpose in game is for them at the end of this quest oh man it was just really really cool and i thoroughly enjoyed it all i can say is when you go to the vegas strip or hidden ember as it's now called make sure to be there around nighttime and it's something really really special now let's go open up my buried treasure gaming chest and find out what gaming tips I have for you this week in Horizon Forbidden West. Gamers, as stated, when you go back to the underground city beneath Hidden Ember, there is a brand new Vista Point right there. And man, let me tell you, if you're not really paying attention or hear Aloy's vocal tip to you, you're probably not going to be able to figure out where this thing is needs to be lined up at. And if you don't know what Vista Points are, essentially you hard focus and click in on the right analog stick. It brings up a kind of a fuzzy image. And then you have to line that up with the environment, which will unlock the unfuzzy, nice, clean, crisp image of what that area looked like before the war and all this mess happened in the world of Horizon. So these can be kind of tricky anyways in the massive open world environment of horizon but when you're in this tight-knit environment underground 
oddly enough, it made it a little bit more difficult. I got to tell you, I feel like it was the most I had spent trying to figure out where I line this thing up at. And if it wasn't for Aloy at one point saying, hmm, I know there used to be a bridge around here. Maybe I can get up high that way. So then at that point, it told me, okay, let me look for a bridge. So gamers, look for a bridge. And guess what? That bridge is right there. When you first enter this cavernous area, you are going to have to your left a bridge that you can see with a, a, a long ladder leading from the pit where you had a boss fight earlier in this area at the end of the Poseidon quest line. And all you'll have to do is climb up that ladder, get over to that point on the bridge, and just make sure you find that right sweet spot standing there on the bridge, facing in the right direction, and you will line up that vista point. Now, my second tip this week... Guys, I realized something. I've been playing over 100 hours this game, and I never really paid enough attention for it to click with me until this past week. But the machine known as the Bellowbacks. So these guys have massive holding tanks on their backs, and you can find them in a wide variety of whether it's acid or fire or whatever the case may be. Regardless, a lot of areas throughout this world have dead bellowbacks on the ground. Well, if you're trying to sneak through an area or if you're in the middle of a fight with a bunch of machines, however it is, stealth, non-stealth, if you're in an area and these dead bellowback bodies are still sitting there on the ground, guess what? Those giant holding tanks are still usable for your betterment in combat or stealth. So here's a couple of scenarios for you. If you shoot that bellow back with the right element and trigger that holding tank, it will explode. So if you're playing sneaky and you're hiding in the tall grass, you can throw a rock to lure a machine or an enemy over to that area, shoot that holding tank and watch it explode and either kill or take off massive damage and maybe even cause or trigger elemental damage to a machine. And obviously, if you are not in stealth anymore, but you're in combat and you're running around, and you're trying to get these things off of you, you can also set it up and trigger it and shoot it and hopefully line up the machines chasing after you to the point where they'll run next to it as it explodes, taking them out or severely damaging them in the process. So don't sleep on dead bellowbacks. Always keep an eye out, hard focus maybe, and see what their element is to see what trigger you need to get them exploding and they'll definitely help you out in either scenario. Now let's go check out this week's Captain's Decree. Gamers, when looking at the Prince of Persia remake situation this week, it got me thinking, should there even be a Sands of Time remake? So that's my decree this week is my answer to that question. Should there even be a Sands of Time remake? You know, a lot comes with that question. It's not really just the Sands of Time remake. It is also the Splinter Cell remake. So Ubisoft, I'm coming at you specifically this week and calling you out on both games that you're remaking right now. Now, these are both games that came out around that same time, circa 2002, 2003, in that Xbox PS2 era, and were also massively successful benchmarks for that generation so here's my thing and they and they kick-started successful franchises for quite a few years at that point so here's my thing 
neither of these franchises have we seen a new entry in them for years at this point. Why? That is what frustrates me. Again, I also feel that Splinter Cell suffered the same issue that happened to Prince of Persia, franchise fatigue. Ubisoft does not seem to understand the concept of, yeah, sometimes there can be too much of a good thing. You know, last week's Captain's Decree, I talked about that. That was specifically about content in-game, but it says the same thing for franchises and the amount of entries in a franchise or the rate at which we get new ones. If it becomes a situation like what happened with Splinter Cell, where we had two brand new Splinter Cells release in the same year, I think that's a little bit too much, Ubisoft. If you don't remember, if you went around back then, Splinter Cell Pandora Tomorrow came out in the early part of that year. I want to say it was March of that year. And then eight months later in November, Splinter Cell Chaos Theory came out. So not one, but two major titles and a major franchise released in the same year. That was insane. But I still played and loved both of those games. They were phenomenal. But you're going to wear people out. So here's my thing. Me personally, I don't want to speak for all of gaming or all gamers, but for me personally, being massive, massively into these franchises back in the day and huge fan and a huge fan just in general, I don't necessarily want a remake of either of them. <laughs> I don't think it's necessary. I really don't. Should there be a remake of Sands of Time? No, in my opinion. Ubisoft, Take the time and the resources and put it into rebooting the Prince of Persia franchise for a brand new generation, not just of hardware, but of gamers. You know, stop resting on these remakes. I feel like Ubisoft looked at what Capcom did with remakes of Resident Evil 2 and 3, and they're now doing with RE4 and why they skipped Code Veronica, I don't know, but that's a captain's decree for another show and another day. My point is... I feel like Ubisoft saw the success Capcom had there, thought maybe we can replicate that with these franchises. People have been asking for new entries in these franchises. Yeah, new entries, not remakes of old games that we've already played. And maybe it should tell you something. If you're having this much issue creating the Sands of Time remake, maybe you might want to reconsider doing that and refocus your money, your efforts, your support into creating something brand new. Why do developers feel the need to retread and revisit these same experiences? I get maybe you want to draw in new people and new gamers with what drew people in 20 years ago. But at the same time, I mean, I'm speaking for myself here and many of my friends, you still have fans of those franchises from 20 years ago. Yeah, there's the nostalgia bug you can get bitten by, but I don't think that's always the solution. So Ubisoft... Maybe take this moment and maybe Ubisoft Montreal, specifically that development team, maybe they can go to Yves Gamont, the president and CEO of Ubisoft, and say, look, guy, I don't think we need to remake this, but through this process, we've realized we can really create something special and brand new and move on from doing a remake and just completely reboot the franchise. What do you say? And hopefully Mr. Gamont would be all for it because guys... I don't think that we need a Sands of Time remake. That'll do it for this week's episode. I hope you've enjoyed your time aboard the SS Gamer. You can join its crew by searching for Hulking Yoda on the Xbox, PlayStation, and Nintendo Switch networks, 
reach out to me via email at lostatcgaming365 at gmail.com, as well as find me on social media on Instagram at lostatcgaming, as well as on Twitter at lostatcgamin, the number one. Thank you for listening, and until the sea says otherwise, we'll keep sailing. <laughs>